takes a lot to get on my show. Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know. You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius, get onto my show. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. I had a real genius today. Just finished talking to a really interesting guy. He's, a, I guess I would call him a positivity expert. Shola Richards is his name. Uh, Shola is a published author. He's the author of a, of a book called The Making Work Work Book. You can find that on the positivitysolution.com or Amazon or wherever you get your books. I uh, really enjoyed getting to know him. He was recommended to me by a friend named Paige, who's a fellow musician. Thank you, Paige, for sending him over. Uh, we talk about a lot of things, everything from meditation to bullies to uh, some pretty serious moments in, in Shola's life uh, and how he got himself out of those things. He's very frank. Uh, I let some, some things out myself, and I don't know. I think this might help a lot of my listeners. We're all in this together, people. That was one of the themes that I took away from our conversation. Sometimes you meet people who, uh, you know, you meet people when you need to meet them, I think. And Shola is, is the kind of person that I'd love to keep in touch with. I think you're going to really enjoy what he has to say as well. So here we go. Thanks for listening, everybody. Oh, happy Monday, by the way. I hope this picks you up a little bit. Hope you have a nice rest of the week. Here's Shola. My daughter's homework in kindergarten is like, draw a picture of some of the things you see around the house and like, and like basic stuff that's fun. It doesn't it has a, a little resiliency gap right between being challenging enough to keep their interest, right. but certainly not hard enough that they're like, oh, right. You know? Well, and the thing, yeah, the homework thing is really, I mean, that really weighs on me because the other, the other alternative that we've been looking at are these charter magnet schools yeah. and they're homework intensive. It's insane. And I mean, it, uh, from, I could do it. I, I know. I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. I, I mean, luckily I work from the house and, and I work at night at the opera. So I'm here with my kids all the time. And what we've been doing is uh, Amy has this like homeschool yeah. kind of group it's mm -hmm. where you go. Like, I think they meet at the park twice a week or something. Oh, nice. We've got a French speaker. We've got a mathematician. We've got Whoa. a scientist. We've got musicians. We've, and so the parents just do a lesson. They do a lesson plan. That's so cool. And it's been working really well, but my wife is exhausted. Like of course. it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Um, and we really don't want to do the whole homework thing, to be honest. It's, it's a lot. I mean, but the good news in, in elementary school, at least at Mar Vista, they're very thoughtful about this. And they actually talk about homework as being something that they want to ease them into the concept versus just burying them. Right. They give no homework on Fridays. It's like, you know, it's like in the homework is a one sheet and it's just like usually like a picture and a little drawing mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. like just okay. showing your writing ability. <coughs> Excuse me. Just getting more comfortable with that stuff. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. really basic stuff. Okay. It's fun. And they walk away. My daughter's like, I can't wait to do my homework, which is, you know, that's not common. At least when I was in school. It wasn't right. Common. Right. Where did you, where did you grow Back up? East. Oh, yeah. Did? Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Came out here like, gosh, 15 years ago. And what brought you out here? Gosh, came out here for, I was working at a college um, uh -huh. back east. And I was like, I have an identical twin brother. Like, yeah, let's go out and do some like modeling entertainment stuff. And yeah. I'm like, oh, 
And I was like, this sucks. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to use my brain. So ever since then, we got more formalized jobs. I work at UCLA and I oversee um, leadership development for- You do right now? I do. Oh. I do. That's this whole get up. Oh. Yeah. So that's my day gig. By night, I try to change the world and try to change how we work and how we treat each other at work. Well, thanks for being here. My pleasure. <laughs> We've been rolling a little bit. Yeah. Oh, we have been. No, again, right on. That's good. That's fun. Um, yeah, I, I did some, I, I mean, I looked you up online and uh, I'll be honest, like maybe this might turn out to be um, kind of a, a session for me because I, oh. I struggle with positivity. I yeah. struggle with gratitude. Yeah. Uh, and I have a lot to be grateful for. You do. You know, I mean, just looking around here. <laughs> I, I'm very lucky. I've got a beautiful family. Um, all of our parents are still alive. And, oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And, and they live down the street. So, so we get, Will and Madeline know both of their grandparents. Very much so. That's pretty con that's strong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, do you, and your are your parents still back east? So my parents are back east, been married for 47 years. So wow. in a very similar situation. So my wife's parents are both still alive. My parents are still alive. So our girls get to know the grandparents. It's tougher because my mom and dad live back east, but sure. we always do FaceTime. Thank God for technology, it's, right? It's great. The ability to connect with them and they're yeah. coming out to visit in the summertime. So it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah, uh, my, I mean, my my mom is living basically by herself because my dad is a CEO in China. Oh, and whoa. so we we do the FaceTime thing and so William and Madeline get to yeah. chat with them, you know, for like a half hour window when when everybody's awake. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> which is very often <laughs> no. between China and LA. Yeah, exactly. So it's uh I, I hear what you're saying. Now, um I I want to I really want to talk about how you how you got into what you're doing. Yeah. Um, were you a have you always been an, an optimist? No, you ha you haven't. Though. <laughs> no, I mean, did you have an, an easy childhood? Did yes, you have, you I, did. I did have a very easy childhood. Well, let me well let me rephrase that. Yes and no. Okay. The reason why I jumped to yes is because when the, most people think of hard childhoods, they think of their parents, and my parents are fabulous. The two best human beings I've ever had the opportunity of meeting in my life. I'm wow. 42 years old now, and. Wow very close to my parents. The reason why I'd say yes is because I always had them with me. Mm -hmm. What helped shape where I am today and why I wasn't always an optimist and now I am is when I was a kid, I was ruthlessly bullied as a kid. Oh, it was brutal. Really? Yeah, it was bad. It's hard to believe. I mean, you're like, <laughs> You're like six foot 14 and a bright smile, a handsome dude. I can't imagine that. Oh man, Omar, I appreciate you for saying that. It was bad, man, it was bad. So as a kid, my teeth were jacked up. I, thankfully, they're straight now. Sure. But braces for like four and a half years as a kid. And again, as an adult, I finally had them under control. <laughs> and it took a while. And then as, as just, my teeth do not want to stay straight. Same with mine. Even now, like I want to run home, put in my Invisalign uh, retainer the second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about doing that again, actually. I had braces and I, I was not a very good uh, patient. So Me I'm, neither. Yeah. That was the problem. And then just my teeth were overlapping. It was brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And worse than that, as I had a speech impediment growing up as a kid, I know it's funny. <laughs> I speak for a living. So it's kind of funny to see like what happened. I stuttered a lot as a kid so growing up i was an easy target for the bullies because i looked funny i spoke funny i was kind of a dork you know no one really seemed to kind of like want to be my friend or whatever yeah. so my childhood was hard in the sense that i always thought like people are so mean to me like people mm. are so rude and, and i always had this insatiable curiosity about why are people such jerks like mm. why are people why would people choose to be mean to someone like, well, we all mean, know why you're right yeah their own insecurities <laughs> it, it is and it comes yeah. from fear and insecurities as a seven eight year old kid i didn't have the 
introspective qualities to realize well, that. Well, even like, if you do, you don't have the facility to really feel that anyway. I mean, true. You know, you're getting bullied. That's yeah. just a fact. I'm just trying to survive. Yeah, I'm just trying it. to get through the day. Whether, trying to get you this. know why they're doing it or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know between the fourth and fifth period, they're coming for me. So I was like, yeah. that's all I knew. I was like, I just got to get past fifth period. Yeah. So for me, as growing up, I tended not to be optimistic because I was like, the world's kind of mean. People and sadly trending towards a meaner world now. So I saw a lot of that as a kid and I kind of got in this mode of just do what you can and just try to avoid people as much as possible because for the most part, they're pretty mean. Yeah. As I got older, I realized, and I became pretty good at basketball. So then people all of a sudden were treating me differently. Like, mm -hmm. oh, he's cool now because he's actually good at something. And mm -hmm. that was played basketball in college. And then as I got older, I still understood like I didn't fall into this optimistic trend. I was kind of like, you know, the world's kind of a toxic place. Mm -hmm. Then it all came, the shift that took me from pessimism to optimism happened about 11 years ago. and was the, really the, um, the crux of why I wrote my book. 11 years ago, I was working in such a toxic work environment that was beyond description. I mean, it was horrible how it was treated. Was this back east? No, believe it or not, in Los here. Angeles. It was okay. out here. So, oh, I believe it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a rough environment. <laughs> yeah. And I, after a few years of working in this place, I fell into a deep depression. But it wasn't like falling off a cliff. It's kind of like the slow decline. Right, right. So you don't even realize that you're there when you finally get to the pit. And when I was at the darkest point, the nadir of my workplace existence, I made a decision one day as I was driving to work, like, I'm going to end my own life it's time for me to end my life. And I made a decision very intentionally that I'm going to get my car, drive down the 405 freeway, and I was gonna take my car and drive it off the overpass in a way to really kind of end in this fiery death of showing the world how mean it was and how it took another life. And, and unless the world changes, more people will be driving off the freeway and I wanna make it poetic. and. And I, you, or, I mean, were you seeing anybody at the time? No. Were you by yourself? Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. I was actually with my girlfriend, who happens to be my wife now and mother of my two children. And did she see this coming? She, looking back on it now, she's like, I knew something was off with you, but, but not you communicate. never communicated. Because to me, I was like, I'm not tough enough. I can't seem to figure it out. I'm the baby. I can't, I'm not, I need to man up or did whatever. Did you have any kids? No kids. No. We were just dating at the time. So we were just maybe about two, three years into dating before that happened and i attempted to drive my car off the overpass thankfully it hit the guardrail and um and came, it didn't give didn't give and i came back into the into the actual shoulder of the freeway and i swear omar I just started sobbing sure. and i was well, sure. and all my humanity came back to me and in that moment i was like i have to do something about this i went to my job and i submitted what type my, of work was it that i was working gosh it's, i mean without giving it away yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's I was working for a for-profit university. I'll put oh. it there. Yeah, when I, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, it's, yeah. It's a tough. It's a tough. It. It's a tough gig there. Sure. And um, I had to make a decision at this point. I was like, you know what? I just can't. I can't go another day doing this. So I attended my resignation, and when I did, I did some research, and I'm like, I gotta find out. Is there anyone dealing with workplace bullying? Because I'm the only, I, I thought this wasn't even a thing. I didn't know it was a thing. Oh, you were being bullied at bullied, work? Being bullied at work. And that's part of the reason why I fell into this depression. Sure, of course. I kind of missed that key part of the story. Yeah. It was the bullying that really drove me to this In what point. way? I mean, how do how do adults bully one another? Yeah, so, I haven't been bullied as an adult, I don't think ever. I know. It was, and this is funny because there's a lot of folks who are like, is that really a thing that right. I get kids being bullied? Like right. I worry about William or you know, anyone else, like my kids being bullied. Like we don't really think about how that works when you're an adult so as a bull as an adult it's a little different 
schoolyard kids are a little bit more co- not covert they'll just shove you down right but adults they humiliation intimidation i'll take your job from you if you don't do this correctly i swear to you i will ruin you you'll never work in this town again like you'll never work in for-profit yeah, education right, right, right. i'm okay with that <laughs> <laughs> i'm like talking about the worst industry in the world i mean a lot of constant belittling and and threats and humiliation to get to a point where you start questioning your own humanity if you're good enough and things of that nature when i resigned i looked this up and i'm like is this a thing come to find out there's 65 million americans who are dealing with workplace bullying right now that's like the population of 14 u.s states and that's horrible and it's causing things like hypertension ptsd depression descent into addiction in some cases suicide successful attempts in some cases wow then I looked up, I was like, is anyone else doing something about this? Right. Come to find out that no one is. So I was like, well, I guess I have to do it. And you know about it. And I know about it. Yeah. And so my turn to optimism and to positivity was around looking at the certain, the small things that allowed me to have gratitude, which you came into earlier when you talk about it's hard to be grateful sometimes because mm-hmm. there's always the need for more. Or I want to make sure that what if this goes away or right. the things that kind of scare us. Or I'm not, am I living up to my potential? That's mm-hmm. my biggest question. Mm-hmm. Am I Am I really? Yeah. Like, I'm tired. Does that count? Does, <laughs> that, does that mean I'm doing it? You know, it's funny <laughs> because that's one of the reasons what drove me to write my start my blog, The Positivity Solution, was around helping people with the day-to-day challenges of wondering, is this enough? One of the most common things that comes up is lack of self-compassion and my motto that's that's me right there is i always tell people that you belong in any room that you walk into and that feeling of that imposter syndrome like i feel like i'm doing well but i don't know if i'm doing well enough Mm -hmm. and when you said i don't feel like i'm living up to my potential which is always interesting because what where would there be when will you get there you'll never be a moment for someone who's highly driven as you are to be like i've made made it it. you know it's funny that you say that because when i was a a little kid um i i grew up I mean, I don't want to say privileged. Um, we lived on an island. Oh, wow. And my grandparents had a 5,000 square foot house with a bowling alley in the basement. Whoa. <laughs> and I thought that that was what I needed to do. And as an adult, I, I have not achieved that. And um, when I was a kid, I always thought, I'm going to get to this place where I'm going to have this big house or I'm going to live on an island and I'm going to get in my Ferrari and I'm going to say, I've made it. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like there's this feeling of a finish line Mm -hmm. that I have envisioned in my mind where once I cross it, it's just smooth sailing. It's so funny. And I've never, and the finish line just gets farther and farther away the the older I get. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing about that finish line is even if you did cross it, you'd still be wondering what's next. Yeah, what's next? It's never going to be enough. There's a wonderful story about the American businessman and the Mexican fisherman that has stuck with me forever. And maybe this lesson will help you in some way because it certainly helped me. I'll paraphrase and make it short. So there was an American fisherman, American businessman who was visiting a guy in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And he saw the Mexican fisherman fishing. He said, what are you doing to the fisherman? I'm like, oh, my goal is to gather some fish so I can hang around with my family, have a siesta, sing some songs with my banjo by the fireplace, have a wonderful day. And the American fisherman's like, businessman was like, what are you doing? You could take this fish and package it and you could sell it and make a ton of a profit. And the Mexican fisherman was like, Right. Oh, okay. But then what? Well, after you finally package it and sell it, then you can hopefully get your business together, buy a huge home, and you can then incorporate and go all over the world and have all these different, possibly these franchises. Like, then what? Well, you can work for 20, 30 years, get a whole bunch of employees, and then you can finally retire. It's like, and then the American fish, fresh, Mexican fisherman was like, then what? 
well, then you can hang out, and <laughs> play your songs. banjos and songs, and get to see us. <laughs> see like, your family. See your family. <laughs> and it's like, that's how we tend to kind of work in America. Yeah. We tend to get ourselves to the point where we burn out. We want to get to this point of success, which no one can really clearly define. When you look at what you have, you have two beautiful children, a wonderful wife, a gorgeous home. And for those of you listening, trust me, I'm in it. It's beautiful here. An opportunity to have that you've made it and there's nothing that you could do that's going to get you to a point that you're going to get it more than what you've got now bigger house more cars ferraris who cares new windows i need new windows <laughs> right but it's then only, i'll be happy yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I think that's one of the things that's been tough because my wife and i were in a situation where we we're in a condo for a while and yeah. then we finally moved into a house that we love and then we started looking for things that are oh well, what about the backyard we could do some things with this it's like yeah. babe let's just enjoy the moment and when we started having this thing this gratitude practice what we do with my kids actually who are eight and five i take them like tell me three things that happened today that you're grateful for i've got a friend at work that does that mm -hmm. it's changed their lives and it changed mine too because you know it's easy like oh you know adrian didn't play with me today at school and i don't know why she didn't and then we can get this weird toxic downtrodden spiral like tell me something you're grateful for like oh I love the fact that my teacher sat down with me today and gave me a big star on my paper for spelling all my words right. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. What else? I loved it in my lunch. You packed this little thing of popcorn that I love that makes me happy. Like, and these small things allow her and both of them to see things so differently. Just just having a little conversation. Just a conversation. I'm talking before bed yeah. as I do this every oh. night with yeah. my girls. It takes maybe like they're in bed. I tuck them in yeah. and they're like, hey. Just tell me what you're grateful for before bed. 30 seconds. 30 seconds, Omar. And the cool thing about it, they wake up in the morning. It's like magic. And there's a reason why you hear this so often. Like, what's the key to positivity? Gratitude. No matter where you go. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of people are like, no, no, no. That, 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 give me something. I got a give new Rolex. Better. I'm so grateful. <laughs> right. yeah. they, like, this gratitude thing, I've heard that enough. Give me another secret. Like, right. That's the that's thing, it. though. The problem is we all know what to do. But it's we're, it's about execution. Knowing doesn't. If knowledge was all it took to be successful, everyone would be rich, happy, yeah. and hot because yeah, yeah. there's plenty of information on that. Yeah, it's doing it. Oh yeah, I know. I need to lose like 25 pounds. Sure. I haven't worked out since since my daughter was born. Probably since my son was born, actually. And uh, I used to be an athlete. Doing I know what, what sport? I, uh, tennis. No kidding. I love and, tennis. Yeah, yeah. And I, I used to. Uh, I mean, I played varsity tennis, and I've played since I was five years old, and. I was competitive for a while and then I used to go to the gym a lot and I did martial arts and all sorts of, I've right, always been right fencing, all sorts of things. Yeah. And um, I know what I need to do. Mm -hmm. And then I think, God, I'm just, I'm just so fat and I'm so tired. I'm tired all the time. <laughs> and then I get depressed and then I don't go to the gym. And then the next day I weigh a few ounces more and then I feel bad. And then I, cause I feel so bad. I don't want to go, you know, it's like, I, I know, it. I know what I need to do. I need to get my ass in the car and go to the gym. No, it's so uh, funny though. I can tell you something. <laughs> I wish that the world could see themselves. I wish that everyone in the world could see themselves the way the world sees them. Cause right. I'll tell you what I mean. When I come here, you are as together as they come. I'm like, and I'm walking, Oh, watch out for the mess. I'm like, this is like spotless. I'm like, my God, if you came to my house, like it, it just, to me, it just, you have such high standards, which is a beautiful thing, but you said it earlier. It's the self-compassion. Yeah. The willingness to be like, I'm okay. I'm very critical. And, which is good in some um, cases. It allows yeah. you to have high standards and to make sure that this podcast does well and the work that you do also at night with the orchestras as well. But it's also about 
what you've done. It's funny that you mentioned the podcast because that was that's a big part of me doing this podcast was an exercise in releasing work into the world mm. that I don't think is perfect. Oh, right. So what I do, there's a very simple mantra that I have about this podcast, and it has helped in some ways. I sit down, I record an interview, I do the voiceover, and then I release a podcast. Mm. That's it. But that's hard to do, though. Uh, for me, it is. Yeah. For me, it is. So, I even, I mean, I use words incorrectly sometimes. And I'm just like, well, that, you know yeah, what? what? <laughs> I said that. <laughs> right. I actually said that. So it's going out. So I have a question for you, though. How are you able to do that? Because, I mean, when you think about it, putting out work that anyone all over the world with anyone with a connected device can mm -hmm. listen to this, if you can get on SoundCloud and hear it. Mm -hmm. You're like oh my gosh it's forever and a lot of people get caught into and this one a lot of people i work with they struggle with the idea of like i can't put my writing out there i can't put my podcast out there i can't put my singing out there because these videos out there because the world will see it but you're like i don't really it, i'll do the best i can well it, it's been nice having you shola <laughs> <laughs> i need to go back and edit this now right. uh no i uh it's funny i have two two well, i've got a few extreme sides to my personality one is uh a need to uh, I don't want to say grandstand but show off like I, I'm I'm an extrovert same here uh, I, I like being in front of people I like public speaking I like singing in front of you know we sing in front of 3,300 people uh, two or three times a week that's incredible I do this podcast um, as a matter of fact last uh, two months ago we were on stage and my pants fell off your, in, your pants in front of a full house yeah luckily I had a, a costume piece that was uh, over it but I could feel it. I could feel it sliding down my my waist and oh onto my, my thighs. <laughs> you know, like what? Do you, how and do you stuff keep going? It just doesn't bother me. That stuff does. You know, I do. Well, you do like kind of a penguin walk to get off stage. And oh, hope nobody my. sees. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a great story. Uh, yeah, I mean, all sorts of things like that happen, and those things don't bother me. It's. But then the other side of my personality is I have this eye for everything that's wrong. Mm. Like everything that I do badly, everything that I, uh, I I don't have a very high self-esteem about my singing, things like that, even though I'm by all measures a pretty you're, successful singer. So you're a Grammy winner. I don't know. Loud. I don't know. You know, it's funny. Well, that's part of our human wiring, right? So negativity bias is part of who we are, sadly. And it made sense when we're prehistoric times right. when like, like saber-toothed tigers were coming after us. Right. There's a fear of if they come and get us, I need to be prepared for that. I need to place more value on the tiger right. than the nice apple tree over there in the corner. Right. But now that we're out of this time and we're in modern times where saber-toothed tigers are not lurking behind every single window, every single tree, right. there's an opportunity for us to look at the world more critically. But the, here's the challenge. Humans, and myself included, do focus on negative things. I'll give you an example. If you came home one night from the work that you do as a singer, and let's say, for example, the door to your front door, the, mm -hmm. your wife and kids are asleep, you walk in and the door's slightly ajar. Mm -hmm. And you know that your kids should be asleep and your wife should be asleep at that time. Mm -hmm. You're not going to just walk in the door like, doo, 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 let's see what's mm -hmm. going on. You're like, whoa. Because your mind is automatically trained to search for things that are wrong. Mm -hmm. If the door was shut normally and locked, as it should be, what do you even think about it? Just walk in and go ahead, take off your socks, take your shoes, go to bed. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Because your mind is so constantly focused on what is wrong, as it should be, because yeah, it's like always scanning. When's a shoe going to drop? When's right? a shoe going to drop? It makes things harder to enjoy certain things. Like you look at your kids, like you're automatically thinking, not saying that you are, Omar, but in general, people are like, oh, what do I love these kids so much? 
will they always be like this? Will they always love me? Mm-hmm. What if something happens to them? I think and about we, that all the we time. We tend to go to this place where we're so we're unable, and this is so funny where meditation comes in, which is one of my big practices. Mm-hmm. We stay in the future or we constantly obsess about things in the past that did not regrets, go right. Yeah. The regrets and how I could have done this differently. And that critical nature allows us to not stay in the present. And that's where a lot of our suffering comes, this constantly thinking about the future, the obsessing about the past. And I think there's a lot of joys in staying in the moment, like looking around like, my kids are so healthy. I'm in a loving marriage with my wife. Mm-hmm. I'm killing it. I just got a Grammy Award. My podcast is doing well. And I look around this beautiful home and like, this is where I get to call home. Mm-hmm. I get an opportunity to go around and kind of see other people when I travel and do some work with them and some coaching and see the darkness, the true darkness where some people mm-hmm. are. And I'm sometimes talking literally darkness and they can't even turn the lights on wow. versus the ability of just their own inner demons that chase them and torment them mm-hmm. and realize, my gosh, I'm I'm not there. It's, I've been in some dark places, but it's never like that. And that also allows me to find some gratitude as well as hmm. I'm in a place where a lot of people never reach half the level that you're at right now. And I'm not talking about me. I'm now talking back to you about the level that you've reached. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I thank you. I, uh, I sometimes feel like I'm addicted to negative thoughts that somehow, sure. somehow those negative thoughts trick me into thinking that it, it tricks me into, into believing I'm being productive mm-hmm. if I'm constantly worried. You know, like if yes. I'm not worried, I'm not working. Yeah, yeah. I, and it's funny because I, I, if you think about a metaphor, this is going to sound kind of silly, but let's say there's a, <clears throat> excuse me, a blinking, let's, fluorescent light, like a lot of offices have them, right? The sure. offices, the lights are kind of blinking, they're annoying. Well, there's two ways to fix the light, right? One, you can get up on a ladder and replace the bulb with another bulb. It takes a little effort. Another way that you can get the light to stop blinking is to get a sledgehammer and smash the light, mm-hmm. right? In both cases, the light will stop blinking. Mm-hmm. One takes a little bit more effort, but it's worth in the long run. The second way... It's so satisfying. Well, so satisfying <laughs> in the moment, right? <laughs> the sad thing is, as you do it, that light will never turn on again. That's right. Negativity does, in a sense, allow you to feel, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to make sure I see. I wasn't that good. I can do better next time. Right. And I, I get that. Right. But the toll that it takes yeah. consistently over time creates this feeling of a lack of not feeling good about yourself, a lack of self-worth, and this feeling of, like, I'll never get there. Or you don't even want to try anymore. Like, sure. well, I better, I just better not do that. And, and then yeah. as a result, think about that. Thankfully, you didn't do it with this podcast. We wouldn't be sitting here together. Right. And also the work that you've done. I mean, you reached the pinnacle as a Grammy Award winner. And, like, these are things that allow you to show that your work, it has been working. But I also consider the negativity as the fuel, almost like driving with the parking brake on. The mm-hmm. car still moves. You can still achieve things, but how much more could you achieve if you decided to turn that negative energy into more self-compassion and love? Right. That's the hard part, which a lot of people struggle with. And I can speak on this because I used to be there myself. Yeah. Tell me about uh, coming out of that situation on the freeway and getting yourself, I mean, working on yourself, first of all, mm-hmm. and then having this need and being successful at sharing it with other people. Yeah. So the I'll start backwards with the need. I, I felt... <laughs> I mean, did it just it. come like a flash? Or? It, 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 in a weird way, it kind of, in that moment, I was like, I knew I never want to get there again. 
in, in, in 11 years, it hasn't, nor will it ever come to me again. Cause I was just like, that was such a dark place. Yeah. And I've always had a place of really deep empathy. I've always had like this, and it's hard to, <laughs> I still wonder if it's a, a superpower or disability. Cause I have this thing where I'm like so empathetic about things. I can't stand to see people suffering. Folks right. can see folks, homeless people and just like step over. I'm like, oh, sucks to be him. For me, I'm like, I must do something. I need to sit with this person, talk to them, give them whatever I have in my wallet. That empathy drove me to say like, I have to help other people who are suffering as well. So mm -hmm. that's where it kind of came from. But it was always kind of a passive thing. Like, I know I should help that person. But then it kind of went out of control when I got there. I was like, I that pain, I felt it. Mm -hmm. I cannot let anyone in my power, in my pure deal with this situation. So I would jump in. Uh, yeah, do you, uh, what, do you, what do you do about the who do you think you are voice? Oh, that's when it comes to that. Like, if I were to say that about myself, I'd say, "Oh, I obviously have a messiah complex." And, mm -hmm. and uh, what what's that all about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, it's, it's a thing. For me, it's not. I, I see it as something like who I think I am. I'm, I'm a living person who has an yeah. opportunity to help someone else. You've been given this opportunity, yeah. I guess. Is and, how you'd see it. And you know what's funny? Like, I don't necessarily. I didn't ask for this. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to be empathetic. I mean, well, no, no I don't want to be. It just it just happened to be. I right. just cared. Uh, those. Um, Sarah McLaughlin like cat commercials would come on the TV where animals are suffering. I'm like die for the remote control right. to change the channel because it hurt me so viscerally to see it. I don't think of who am I to do this? Like who am I not to do this? Yeah. I mean, I'm here now. I'm alive. I have opportunities to help someone. And the funny thing is helping is free. I don't have to go and give money. Sometimes some people just want to be acknowledged and for it their is humanity. Addictive. It is. And someone helping asked me people. this question and it was a really good question. It's like, is there a way to be selfless, completely selfless? Is because like, I don't know if there is. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, like I do get something from this. Mm -hmm. I do walk away feeling like I'm making the world a better place because of my presence in it. And that does feed my soul. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, I do get something out of this, but I also know that the other people on the other end are getting something out of it too. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I could either do nothing. And this is a problem with the world that we're in right now. The world is getting meaner. It's, it's trending. Amen. It's, it's like circling the drain in some cases. At the end of my podcast, I always say, remember to be kind to one another. That's all right. And know what I tell my kids before I drop them off at school? I say, be kind, be smart, be strong, mm -hmm. and leave everything better than you found it. That's my message that I have for them. And, and now they repeat this to themselves, to their friends. Like, we're all being kind, it's smart and strong. Like, oh, those are my <laughs> girls, my babies. Because if the world's changing so much and trending this way, a lot of people are like, I can't do everything. So they don't do anything. Right. And it's like, anything is better than nothing. I see a piece of litter on the ground and pick it up and put it in the trash can. Mm -hmm. But I think our disconnection allows us to do things like, they don't recycle mm -hmm. or they don't care about the environment or they don't care about treating either well, like the grocery store person or whatever. Mm -hmm. What difference does it make? But that's a lack of connection. When you're disconnected with the world, you do those things. But when you're connected and passionate, you want to do any little act knowing it's going to cause some sort of improvement. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a dark place, it's amazing how that creates that feeling within you. That's like, you know, and I know that this behavior is helping somebody. I know that just this one act of picking up this paper towel and putting in the trash can is making a difference. I know having an opportunity to talking to my girls when they're sad and having them shift that thought back to something that they're grateful for mm -hmm. will help them maybe when they're teenagers, who knows? Do you think that technology is uh, helping or hindering? Hindering. I do too. Yeah, yeah it's making too. a difference. And, and it's tough because I think we're the, we're the most distracted generation there is. I yeah. think what a game-changing concept is just to be present with someone. Right. Just have the opportunity to you think about it there's a moment where i went out with a friend to a restaurant and i was having lunch with her and she went to the restroom and i left my phone in my office and 
and normally when someone goes, I'm sitting at the table by myself, I reach my phone, like, I was like, oh my gosh, on my phone. Right. And a moment of panic for like, maybe like, I was like, what, what do I do? Do I look around? Do I like just eat my food? Like, oh, my food wasn't there yet. So I was like, what do I do? Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's happened You're to addicted. me? Yeah. What I'm happened? Yeah. It's like, I can't even sit. And what a 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I would just sit there. Yeah. It wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. And I think like it's caused us to lose that ability to connect more deeply. Uh, yeah. And I also think that it's, we've lost the ability to be bored and, <laughs> and, and magical things happen when you're bored. Mm -hmm. Your mind goes, creates things. Yeah. And uh, compensates for the boredom with imagination. Yeah, and it's funny, and it, I'll even ch it's changed the word from boring just to being alone. You know, I tell my kids because when they say like, when they don't have any electronics to mess around with, I'm like, Daddy, I'm bored. Yeah. I'm bored. Same I was with like, my son. I was like, Baby, only boring people get bored. I always say, Good. Be bored. Mm, yeah. And find something to do yeah. because you don't have to be bored. You can no. go, with, My gosh, you have a house in a backyard and go right. do whatever you want. I'm like, Oh, fine. Yeah. But to rely on technology for entertainment i mean while it's fine once in a while i i really try to make a point of let's find different things to do i'm a big sure. reader and thankfully yeah. my kids are too and that's helped a lot mm -hmm. i really want to get them into the joy of books and Me finding too. a world that's outside of just i read to them all the time Me too, every night every night yeah since it they've makes been a born. difference and it's small things like that that allow us to kind of feel more connected mm -hmm. to each other and that's part of what i want for the world i think if you're more connected to someone you're less likely to be rude to the barista for having your coffee three degrees warmer than you thought it would mm -hmm, be mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. And yeah. that makes a difference in the world, these tiny acts. Let's talk about meditation. Do you, uh, how did you come? Because I'm, I've, that's another thing, like going to the gym. I know that sitting for 10 minutes and just feeling the breath would cures a lot of problems. <laughs> it does. Because I know I've, I did that for like two weeks straight and I've never felt better. And then I just never look back. I, I mean, I don't do it anymore. Yeah. And, and uh, it's a discipline, I think, or a habit. What is it? 17 days to make or break a habit. Yeah, they say and, uh, 21, actually. Something like that. Yeah. And uh, I, I need to get back into that. How did you find meditation? I was I was a seeker. I really wanted to find things that would make my life more positive. And gratitude was a habit that I found as, a, as I kept going as the overlap. Meditation was another thing. And you read a lot about what do successful people do. Mm -hmm. And... I had to get past my idea of like, I know better sitting silently. doesn't make a difference. Like, gosh, all these people are saying like Oprah or Russell really Simmons, all these other people, like Bill Gates. And like, you know, I was like, you know, maybe, maybe I should try this out. I have a very fast moving mind. Mm -hmm. I tend oh. to think about a lot of stuff. And when I went to a retreat, um, just, uh, this couple weekends ago, where I meditated for a weekend, no cell phones allowed. You just go in there and having an opportunity to meditate. And they're so great in the idea of like, you do not have to, if you if your whole point is to silence your mind, that's just torture. Right. You're not here to judge yourself. Damn, I thought about something again. I'm thinking about what I need yeah. to do. Just be. And that gives you so much peace. And mm -hmm. someone said it, I forgot who it was, but it's such a great quote. It's like, if you don't have 10 minutes for something that will change, change your world, yeah. give you health, give you peace, and allow you to feel better around better wife, better husband, better right. dad, then you probably need like six hours if you don't have 10 minutes. And it's like the 10 minutes in Headspace, the app that's on iPhone mm -hmm. is, and probably on Android too, game changer. Huh. It's, it's 10 minutes of guided meditation for the person who hates meditation and allows you to just real. and if you want to get back into it, that is the best way and it's headspace. free okay. headspace gotta look it up okay and for me that's how i got back into it and just allows me to have such peace when the world's acting crazy yeah i'm centered yeah 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 you know what it does for me is it creates a 
uh, it creates a little bit of a cushion yeah. between me and the rest of the world. Yeah. And I have this just a little extra space to to expand and contract within that context. It makes a huge difference. Huge and that difference. space allows you, because when that space shrinks, then something happens, you become reactive. Uh, totally. And, and now you have that little space to kind of look at it as an observer and then give a thoughtful response to That's it. it. That space is where everything happens. Right. It and in meditating, I, I find that I do observe. So I have a particular thing that I think about. I, I, I imagine that I'm on this ledge and a waterfall is in front of me, oh, like I'm behind the waterfall. Yeah. And all of my thoughts are in this water, just passing in front of me mm. and I'm just um, observing it. Yes. And it's in that observation that, like you just said, it, it, it allows, it trains your mind to observe the world without being so narcissistic and self-centered about everything being about you and it's not you can <laughs> no. just look at it objectively exactly and it allows you to find a place of self-compassion that's probably the reason why i was able to do it so because i needed it i was such a broken guy from being bullied as a kid yeah again as an adult where i just didn't feel good enough i didn't feel like i belonged in rooms that i would walk into mm -hmm. and i allowed myself to look at myself as a whole human being when you said to me earlier on in the interview i was like oh, i can't picture you being bullied and it's so funny when i hear that because a lot of people say that mm -hmm. and going back to like when you're thinking about damn it have i made it yet my place is like really because i still see myself as a broken kid who didn't fit in anywhere and it to me mm. there's still a healing process that i have to go through where i have to feel like oh that's true i'm not that person anymore i i am a person where i have more confidence and i'm different than what i perceive myself on the inside that's why i think the biggest gift that someone could give someone is if you could see the world the way I see you. And mm -hmm. I wish that I could see the world maybe the way that others see me. Right. And there's still a part of me that still struggles with self-confidence and so struggles about, do I belong in this room? I went, when my book came out, I went to a conference with all these really big authors, this thing called the Bookalicious Breakfast, which is very funny. Uh -huh. And I was there and there's this one lady who was like a luminary who's, I can't remember her name, but she's so, multiple New York Times bestseller, just a killer, wonderful woman. And we had some time to talk before the Bookalicious Breakfast. It was a panel of authors. And I said, like, gosh, what's the hardest part about being an author? I asked the group. And the New York Times bestseller, who's been, like, number one all over the world, is like, oh, without question, the self-doubt. I would wait. Well, every book that I wrote, I was like, this is horrible and I hate it. What are and people going to think? And, yeah. I, and I slammed the laptop down and drank a whole bottle of wine and <laughs> cried in my bed in the fetal position. I hated my life. I'm like, whoa, wait, wait you you thought that? Because mm -hmm. I, when I wrote my book, I thought that. And then everyone in the panel is like, oh, my gosh, that's me. That's me, too. You're and really that, exposing yourself to the whole yeah, world. Yeah, but it gave me such a feeling of, like, I'm not alone. Right. There's so many other people who are struggling with this self-confidence thing, too. So my self-confidence, or lack thereof, doesn't necessarily make me special. It makes me common. Right. And that gave me such freedom to realize if I can help others overcome it by stepping into it, and regardless of what you're feeling in terms of what's happening inside, if you're able to project a little something different, then you start feeling different about yourself and allow you to feel like I belong in every room that I walk into. Right, right. Have you ever thought about uh, tracking down these bullies? Yeah, so it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> this is everybody's uh, dream, right? It is, and with the advent of social media, right? So it's kind of easy to kind of find people and they, yeah. 
you know, you make, you get on TV, you do a couple of things and people kind of find you sure, and they want to like, reach it. out. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. like, you know, like all of a sudden we're like buddies all of a sudden, like, Hey man, saw you on TV, this, that, and the other, man, love to connect. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> so what's funny about that is there's, um, you know, they talk about forgiveness and, and forgiveness. I think one of the best first steps for forgiveness is realizing that you don't want to forgive people. And it sounds kind of strange. Like there's a part of me. It's kind there's of some scary. satisfaction. There's some that? satisfaction in knowing like, I don't want to forgive you. Mm -hmm. That's the first step to actual forgiveness. Strangely enough, a lot of people think like, just let it go. The quote that sticks with me is like, you know, holding on to anger and resentment. It's like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. Right. And I believe that I do. But there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to forgive you. I still remember what you did to me. Yeah, how now, do you do it authentically? That's authentically. That, I think that the part of it is, is embracing the part that you just don't want to forgive. Then as you do that, you're like, okay, it's kind of the <laughs> Kubler-Ross stages of grief or whatever it is. It's like, no, I don't want to forgive you. Then you get to a point where you feel that anger or sadness. And then you get to a point of acceptance. Like, all right, you know what? I've moved on. You just kind of don't feel do, anything. They anymore. don't feel anything. And that's mm -hmm. the whole thing. It's not, it's, it's just that, you know, ambivalence. Like, you know mm -hmm. what? I, I don't, I, I forgive you now. And I totally forgive these guys now. I, they're kids. Mm -hmm. Sadly, with a lot of adults, they do grow into adult bullies, but I don't right. know these people because I'm not friends with them anymore. But I still don't have to have them in my space. I still don't have to accept you into my social media circle. I don't have to write you letters. We don't have to hang out and chill. We don't have to be buddies and hug it out when I see you. Like, we're different people now. Mm -hmm. I forgive you. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be friends. And I don't need you in my inner circle. And I'm okay with that. I, and understanding that changes everything. Cause it's like, as someone said, and what I always say in my speaking engagements, I tell people like, listen, some people need to be loved from a distance. Mm -hmm. We can be cool. Um, I'm over it. I, I harbor no ill will towards you. I just don't need you in my life. Man, that's tough. That's, uh, I think that takes some, I think that takes a measure of objectivity. Like we were talking about earlier, where you can observe somebody as not, uh, something that helps define you but mm -hmm. just as an individual outside of your life it, it has nothing to do with you yeah uh, i mean i've got some friends ex-friends that uh i don't know if i'll ever be able to forgive and maybe maybe it turns into pity after a while in a sense it does for me it has you know mm -hmm. once maybe once i can accept the fact that you know i'm doing okay mm -hmm. uh maybe that helps it does. It does. And I think the best revenge for like very putting it is a successful Success, life or life well lived. And when you think about these people, you know, hurt people, hurt people, right? So mm -hmm. when they see people and you've done some horrible things to you, what you've done to create what you've created in your life with the healthy, wonderful family and all the other business interests, you've won. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily being a zero sum game, like you win, they lose, right, but right. it's more of a sense of uh, their approval doesn't mean anything to me. And I, my main mantra, someone asked me this, what's the, the hardest life lesson, the lesson that's taking me the longest to learn? And for me, it's that I have nothing to prove to anyone. Hmm. And that's changed my life. Yeah, like comparing yourself to other people too yeah. is very tough. You know, I've got I've got a friend who uh, his daily driver is a McLaren and he lives in a big, you know, beautiful house. Ooh. And I've got another friend who's got two Grammy statues and nice. travels all over the world with his compositions. And it, it's very easy to say, wow, you know, like these guys are really successful. Mm. And 
uh, what what have I done with my life? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so funny though. If you think about it, the ones who have the two Grammy statues, uh, Claire and all that stuff, you wonder, everyone's fighting a private battle that yeah, you right? know nothing about. That's right. And that battle, there's a lot of people that I would, they're like, oh God, I would trade anything to have Omar's life. And the ones who you're thinking like, oh my gosh, look at these guys, they're killing it. Right. My life is not perfect, but I would not trade it for anyone. Yeah, and that's what friendship is too, because with these guys, uh, we talk about that stuff. Mm-hmm. And we, we do address those things that you've just said. Mm. And that makes it easier. It like, does. We all have, we share our problems with mm-hmm. each other. And that's a big part of what I, I don't require it as friends, but that's really to me what makes a close friend. Is exactly. Somebody, somebody just who says... Gosh, you know, I, I feel really down because of these things. Isn't it funny? Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, that's Everybody feels the same way. Everyone does. Everyone has their dark places where I wonder what's next. Is, yeah. Everyone at night has had a moment where they looked out the window like, is this all there is? Is this it? Is this it? What do you think about that? Are you a religious person? A spiritual more than religious. I don't follow a particular religion. I, I'm a respecter I of I don't religions. either, yeah. I, yeah. I just tend to find my relationship with God, universe, source, or whomever, whatever you want to call it as my personal journey that I get to do. I find it during meditation. I find it an opportunity to connect to the world around me through this shared connectivity. Yeah. My feeling of anything that tends to separate or divide is not really something that I consider to be cool. So when people are like, hey, listen, man, right. I, I'm Christian, I'm born again, and this is the only way to, like there are so many different, four plus three and five plus two equals seven, like doesn't mean that four plus three isn't better than five plus two. Right. There's so many right. different ways to seven. So many different ways to find enlightenment. So for me, I take to take my own personal journey. My girls, as they define God, it's funny because they're eight and five, as I said earlier. It's not like there's this old white man right. with a long beard staring at a cloud down them judging with this long list. It's like, I just, in my daughters, I just feel God all around me. I feel the spirit of, I'm going to be okay. Whatever that may be. And it doesn't have to be something that's clearly defined through religion or going through church or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can sit, I'm just as close to God when I am in a church, when I'm surrounded, when I'm sitting in the bathroom by myself, when I'm asleep. Well, as a parent, I'm closest to God then when I'm in the bathroom by myself. (laughs) Right? Agreed. Agreed. That moment of silence, like this is what heaven is like. Oh, I get it. I get it. It's so true. So what's coming up? How are you expressing this? um, I mean, how, how do you... How do you run the business part of this, and how are you how are you planning on expressing these beliefs as you go forward in life? What's your, what's your big goal? My what, what, oh, yeah. gosh, when just... do you make when do you get to your finish line? <laughs> <laughs> oh, when do I get there? When is there? This may sound overly ambitious, but I dig it. That's kind of my whole point. I yeah. want so when I see something like workplace bullying, for example, it's kind of an issue for me. Kind of my platform. I think about mm-hmm. sixty five million Americans. I'd like to make um, workplace bullying illegal in this country. Through which legislation. Through yeah. legislation, which may be tricky considering. Exactly. You know, where bullying seems to be kind of in vogue <laughs> yeah, at the moment. Right. I cannot let anyone stop me. There's too many people suffering. So I want to find a way to make this illegal. I want to find a way to expose companies that are using and allowing this to happen. And my quote that drives me is what we allow is what will continue regardless of what what it is. So my what's next for me is figuring out a way to give meaningful help to people who are currently being bullied by creating safe organizations that reject workplace bullying and taking active steps to eradicate it from their culture. For adults in particular. For adults because in particular. Because it's just not being... Addressed. Yeah. You know, it's funny because you think about this, like we don't do much for kids and we're like, ah, oh, kids will be kids. Let them work it out. It's like, right. well, wait a second. Like 
they're six and five years old. Like, there are what? big improvements mm-hmm. when it comes to bullying as far as kids go. Thankfully, uh, that I've seen now and now there is. When I was a kid, there was like same with me, man. Out. It's like I'm you see at the bike rack. Yeah, exactly. That's it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My fight now is to de- denormalize this, and I think unfortunately our country is trending towards the normalization. God forbid the the legitimization of bullying as an actual practice that seems to work to get me needs met. Right. Uh, there's a lot of people now who don't see it that way. So my point is to grab a pulpit, whether it's my social media networks, whether it's my book, whether it's anyone who will call me for a speaking engagement, whatever, to say there's a better way to work than this and giving them real tools to help. Speaking of the book, give me the title of the book. Making Work Work. Can you get it on Amazon? Yes. It actually hit number one on Amazon last year, which was, came out in 2016. So it's cool. It's the number one uh, release in workplace culture, which is really fun. Congratulations. Yeah, so people are really digging the message. So I... I think what someone has said about the book that's been a huge compliment to me is true story. I had a speaking engagement a couple of months ago and um, this lady came up to me afterwards and she was in tears. <clears throat> I was like, what's, what's wrong? <laughs> Cause I got to ask yeah, yeah. And she said, Shola, your book saved my life. And I was like, and of course I'm like, what? Yeah, come <laughs> what? on. Come on. <laughs> she's like, no, you don't get it. Like I was about to commit suicide. I had a bottle of vodka and pills. And I was like, I was going to end it. The, what I said to myself is that I was going to, if I don't get a sign before the end of this day, whenever this day was that, you know, something's going to change. I'm going to end my life. She went to the Barnes and Noble bookstore, saw my book facing outward and started thumbing through it. And she's like, this is the first book that didn't talk about these silly platitudes like have empathy for the bully and learn to understand them. Right. So that was the first book that gave me power to understand how I, how they think and how to work around them and how to realize I can overcome anything. How to deal with difficult deal with people. It. And I now know I have the tools and change my life. I was like, holy crap, that changed my life too. So to me, that was the one thing that allowed me to hopefully, I created something that was different. I feel so proud of this work. Are you thinking about another book? Is that yeah. something? Yeah, what's that? What's that? How's that going? Yeah, so I think the next project is going to be something around how we spend a lot of time focusing on the things that separate us Mm. and i need to create a book on connections so how we can create a better world whether it's at work at home the world itself through how we see each other as partners in this versus adversaries and seeing maybe there isn't a place where omar ends and i begin there's a place where we are connected and anyone listening to this can feel connected to the idea that we can make more of a difference together than separate and we're using our divisions now to create a world in a country that's less safe, right. um, less productive, and I think a harder, worse place for us to live in. And I want to change that trend through a book around togetherness and connections. So that is my next project. I love it. Yeah, stay tuned. Hey, man, thanks for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure, man. I feel like a genius. <laughs> you, you are a genius. It's in the title. It is. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. That was Shola Richards. Thank you for coming over, Shola. It was a pleasure sitting down and having a nice chat with you. Um, You know, whenever I meet people, not like this in particular, but, you know, people who seem to be really happy all the time, I always wonder, gosh, I bet bet he goes home and kicks his cat. I didn't get that idea with this guy. I, uh, you know, he meditates. I've meditated. I know what that's like. It it actually does help. I don't feel like going home and kicking my cat. I, I don't have a cat, but I've got a dog. I've never kicked him wanted to but uh i get the idea that he has his ups and downs like all of us do but i think he's figured something out and i'm really glad i got to pick his brain and i don't know blah 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 thank you thank you thank you shola i feel i feel better uh i hope you do too 
I hope you're having a nice afternoon. I look forward to the rest of the week. I hope you do too. Remember to be kind to one another. We need a lot more kindness in this world. Thank you all for listening. Until next time. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius. Get onto my show.